Welcome to Native Exiles, Alderwood Community Church's podcast, where we talk about following Jesus in the tension of being in the world, but not of it. And we're in the wisdom literature as a church right now. And today, Steve and I are having a conversation about the book of Psalms, how we can understand them, what they are, how we can use them in our spiritual lives, and especially in our prayer lives. I think it'll encourage you. Here we go. Steve, good to be doing this with you again. I'm excited about this one. Uh, We are starting a brand new series as a church in the wisdom literature, which doesn't have real neat categories because it's not like the Bible, you know, gives us the wisdom literature tag. That's something we have kind of noticed about the books of the Bible that some of these seem to be more focused on wisdom. So in our series, we're talking about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, but the Psalms are kind of wisdom literature. They're, they're wisdom literature adjacent. Uh, we're not going to be doing a sermon on the Psalms in this series, but I didn't want to neglect it. And so we're going to have a conversation today about the Psalms. I'm excited about it, like I said. And, you know, you have encouraged us, challenged us with the idea that wisdom is taking knowledge and using it well. Like this is a danger for Christians, especially where knowledge is important, but we don't always use it well. And so the Psalms certainly fit into the wisdom literature in that sense, helping us take what we know about God and use it well. For sure. And I think specifically in the area of our relationship with God, our prayer life, our, you know, what we do when we bring our emotions to God, like all of this is the Psalms offering wisdom in that. And, you know, we've been doing a Bible reading plan uh, this year with our church and I really like the way they've broken it out. So every day you have a few chapters of wherever we're at in our Bible reading plan, but there's always one Psalm at the end. So we'll actually end up going through the Psalms twice uh, in the year of our Bible reading. And it's been funny because talking to some people about their experience going through the reading plan, I've talked to several who have just said, I just love having a Psalm every day, you know? And I know like even on the days when I'm slogging through Ezekiel and I have no idea what's going on. Count me in that group. At least there's a Psalm at the end that I can connect with. But what's funny is I've also talked to people who go like, the Psalm is the hardest part for me. Really? Yeah. I was kind of surprised. That's not me, but some, uh, some people I've talked to have said, I kind of get the whole story that we're reading. And then the Psalm, I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with this. What, like, what am I supposed to do with this random prayer or whatever? Who wrote it? What's it about? I don't know. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So people have different experience with the Psalms and I'm curious, you know, when we, when you think about the Psalms, uh, what, what comes to your mind? It's interesting. So many people I've talked to over the years, including and especially people who've been Christians for a lot of years, will often confess, almost like as a side remark to me, you know, I feel like I've grown in so many areas, but if there's any area I struggle in in my spiritual walk, it's prayer. Hmm. And I think that's why I get so excited and encouraged to talk about Psalms, because it's sort of like speech therapy for the prayer challenge, you know? I mean, some days it's really easy to pray, but so many days it's not. And, you know, as as Protestants, it's tricky for us, because I think we like at least a lot of Protestants kind of chafe at liturgy and memorize stuff. No book of common prayer for us. But having someone put into words thoughts and feelings and emotions that are sometimes hard for us to construct, man, it's super helpful. Yeah, and I think when we're engaging with the Psalms and understanding what's going on and really letting them soak into our souls, that's what's happening is... 
I think our human experience, our emotions, they just find resonance in the words of the psalmist. Like it's, it allows us to express things that maybe we couldn't figure out how to express on our own. And it seems like people in general often really resonate with that. You were sharing about how often people go to the Psalms more than any other book. Yeah. On, on our version app, every year they publish which books on the app are most viewed. And every year Psalms is number one. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we want to uh, dive into this a little bit together, give each other maybe some of our own experiences, but also help people understand what the Psalms are, how to read them, how to get the most out of them. And I'm excited to get into it with you. This is great. So as we begin, uh, just to give people a little bit of an overview of what the Psalms are, I think will be helpful because the Psalms are very different than most of the books we have in our Bible. Most of the books of our Bible are uh, cohesive units in of themselves. The Psalms are different in that every chapter of the book of Psalms is a standalone unit of itself. So every chapter is a Psalm is a likely a song that was sung by the people of Israel, maybe just a prayer with no tune, but we know that most of these were done to some kind of musical uh, tune. And so Jewish families would sing these Psalms and memorize the them. earliest ages. Yep. Right? Yep. So that's a little bit unique. Um, and, and yet we're within the book of Psalms, there are some different literary units that's broken up into five books within the book of Psalms. And uh, we can talk a little bit more maybe at some point about the flow of how the whole book of Psalms reads. But the other thing that's really unique about the Psalms is, you know, the Bible is God's word to us. The Psalms are that just like every other book of the Bible is, but normally how books of the Bible operate is you're maybe you're hearing from God. So God is speaking in stories and giving teaching or you're, you're reading, you know, say in Paul's letters, the teaching of an apostle to a church. And so you're trying to understand how this applies to our life today, or you're reading just a narrative about certain characters and you're reading what they do. The Psalms are just all spoken prayers to God. So it is God's word to us, but in, in a way it's also our words to God, or that's how the Psalms work. And that's a unique aspect of how the Psalms operate. I love that. I just think it's so gracious of God to let us know that here are some prayers, sometimes really ugly, raw prayers even, that I want you to know about. I want mm. you to hear these prayers. I, one of the things that really helped me read the Psalms is just recognizing like so much of the Bible we read for truth, you know, propositional truth, and that's important. The Psalms aren't so much propositional as personal. Hmm. And when we're looking for truth, the kind of truth we get is honesty. And we get honesty from a human being toward God, not so much truth from God to us. And and that's just a beautiful gift for us. Yeah, no, that's huge. And you're hearing the raw, unfiltered, emotional state of the author. And for people to understand the author of the Psalms are all are different. Um, Bunch of them. Yeah. You know, we have a lot from King David who wrote about half the Psalms. Uh, the rest of the Psalms are written by others. Some, we don't know who wrote them. Some were given the name and we don't know anything about the person. Sometimes, uh, it's from a group of people, the sons of Korah, for example. And so you're getting a lot of perspectives, um, you know, it's not just the prayers of one man. It's the prayers of all kinds of different people in different situations in life, different statuses, all of that. And I think that really helps the Psalms 
be applicable to all of us. I, I think whatever part in life you find yourself, whatever emotional state you find yourself, you are going to find Psalms that resonate with you wherever you are. Yeah. I heard somebody describe the Psalms once as spirituality in every key. I mean, there's minor keys, there's major keys, right? There's Psalms of lament, there's Psalms of praise. And that, in broad categories, that pretty much is where they fall. They're mostly either one or the other. Sometimes a blend of the two, Mm -hmm. but mostly praise and lament, which is where a lot of us live our lives, somewhere between those two things. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're talking about the honesty of the Psalms, it not being for propositional truth necessarily. Does that mean that there's some things in these Psalms that maybe aren't explicitly true in the, like, are we reading anybody who's saying some incorrect things in the Psalms? I mean, what, how are we supposed to interpret these as God's word to us? Probably of all the sermons that I've preached in 15 years here, you know, a couple times a year I preached the sermon I got the most response to by far was a sermon on Psalm 88, which um, the Puritans used to call the basement of the Psalms, right? Mm. It's like a really dark Psalm. It's one of the Psalms of lament. Like, can I just read you a little bit? You get a feel for how dark and harsh this person felt. Starting in verse 14, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Very cheery stuff. Inspiring, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) I see why you love the solve so much. So let's, let's think about that because... If we read the Psalms as propositional truth or as, as, a, as a teaching, then your takeaway is um, sometimes God completely abandons you. And he's a sadistic monster. Leaves you in darkness, and that's the end of the story. Yes. I don't think that's true, but it does certainly feel that way sometimes. And is that how we're supposed to understand these Psalms, that this is a legitimate, real experience sometimes of what it is like as a follower of Jesus is you, you feel this way and it's okay to bring that to God. Is that the takeaway? I mean, as a person who has struggled with and dealt with depression at different times in my life, I do think God is saying, you're going to find yourself here sometime and it's okay for you to tell me this is how you feel. I know from a hundred other scriptures that God doesn't want darkness to be my only friend. But God wants me to know that someone who loved him very much was allowed, even encouraged, hmm. to express these kinds of thoughts to God. Like throughout the Psalms, there's always this movement, even in the Psalms of Lament, it'll start often really harsh and they always resolve it, you know, mm-hmm. which is very American. So mm-hmm. God bless those Hebrew psalmists, right? But there's a couple of Psalms, this being one of them, Psalm 37, I believe is the other, where it just, it never resolves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes life is like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, um, Lament, sadness, depression are not the only honest emotions we get. Anger is another one that's often expressed. And I think a lot of times uh, 
we find that in the Psalms that are, that are called the imprecatory Psalms. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with that, what does that mean? Those are Psalms where basically a person is calling down curses on their enemy. And it really rattles you, you know, if you're in like the Sermon on the Mount reading, you know, love your enemy. And then the Psalm at the end of that day's reading is like break their teeth. Mm-hmm. It, it seems a little dissonant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with the imprecatory psalms, there's some doozies in here. Like, uh, you know, the one that gets quoted in my experience more than any other is Psalm 137. Daughter Babylon, this is verse 8, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Yikes. Don't you have that on a coffee mug in your office? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's my verse of the day calendar. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so that's pretty brutal. Uh, How is this God's word to us? Like, it seems like Jesus teaches us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Is that what he means to pray that their infants would be dashed against the rocks? Cause it doesn't, that's not how I take it in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus has to pray for those who persecute us. And yet here it is in the book of Psalms 137. It's a tricky question. It's a quandary, right? So if we're going to say a minute ago with Psalm 88, no, no, this isn't prescriptive. Like God isn't saying, yes, that's actually true. I want you to wallow in darkness and I put you in a terrible place then do we carry that same truth over here and say, God's okay with this too? Or is he okay with me having this posture in my heart? I mean, I'm putting the question back to you because it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a tough one. There's more than one of these, you know, do I get to read another? Cause these are just like, a yeah, little, give us another imprecatory one. Yeah. Shocking when you read yeah. them right out of the gate uh, in Psalm chapter three, he says, arise Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. I mean, it's a really brutal, ugly picture. Yeah. Okay, well, let's try to wade through this together. So one is to understand these kind of questions, we need a couple categories in our mind that are helpful, not just here, but in the rest of scripture, which is asking the question, when I read the scriptures, is this prescriptive or descriptive? So, and what that means simply is prescriptive. Is this telling me what I ought to do? Is this prescribing how to live to me? Or is it descriptive? This is just describing something that happened, something that is maybe a a reality in the world, but it's not it's not an ought. It's not how it should be. It's just how it is. And so there's, there's a lot of places in the Bible where this is a much easier concept to implement. So before we start with the imprecatory Psalms, maybe we should go to some of the easy ones. So, and you're talking about the categories, prescriptive and descriptive. Correct. Okay. So when you're reading in Matthew chapter five, the sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes up on a hillside, sits down with all of his disciples and begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. This is very clearly prescriptive. Jesus is teaching you, this is how life is supposed to be. You should do this. This is what you should do as a follower of Jesus. This is how I want you to live as my followers. Just very clear. Like this isn't just describing something that Jesus said, and maybe he was right and maybe he was wrong. Like this is just clearly, this is what Jesus says we should do. Um, And there's plenty of that. Like, you know, the New Testament letters written by Paul or or the other ones as well are almost always prescriptive. They're teaching, this is what life as followers of Jesus looks like. The 10 commandments, very clearly prescriptive. Um, and then there's also some areas where it's pretty clearly descriptive. So, uh, you know, when you read about, 
some of the really crazy things in the Old Testament that Yikes. happen, you know? So, like, the story of uh, the How man... the guy who cut up his concubine? That's exactly where I was going. Okay, that yes. one's... The man who cuts up his concubine yes. into pieces and mails them all over Israel. Like You shouldn't do that? That was not telling us what we should do, right? That's just describing something that happened. And this happens all over the place when, you know, the... Uh, when the Israelites are worshiping idols and, you know, the golden calf statue and all like, this is just telling you what happened. And in the context of the story makes it very clear. Not only is it not saying this is what you should do. It's very specifically saying this was bad and evil. This is not what should happen. But wait, you like the golden calf clearly is called out, right? Mm -hmm. Context and otherwise it's very clear, but some of these are like the guy who cuts up his concubine. There's never a pronouncement. You right. know, there might be a literary movement in the book that's like, it's going from bad to worse, but like, there's never a God, God looked down and he disapproved of this. You're just sitting there appalled by it. And you're asking yourself, what is going on here? Right. And you have to be a committed, good reader of the scriptures to be able to understand what the Bible is trying to say to you. You have to bring in context from other parts of the Bible. So when you're reading the story about the man cutting up his concubine, um, you have to be reading passages like from Leviticus 19, where God very clearly instructs us to love our neighbor as ourself. And to think that maybe that might mean cutting up your concubine, it doesn't qualify in that, you know, like, so there's, there's often parts of the scriptures where you're just given a story. You're not told whether it's prescriptive or descriptive and you have to figure it out. And sometimes it's hard. Like one of the ones that's hard that gets misinterpreted all the time is the story of Gideon testing the Lord by putting out a fleece. Can you remind people about that story? So Gideon is approached by the angel of the Lord who tells him to go fight one of the ites. I don't even remember who it is. And he doubts he's, Lacking in confidence, can this really be God? And so he says, I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to put a, a lamb's fleece out overnight. And next morning, if I wake up and there's dew all over the ground and the fleece is dry, I'm going to take it as a sign from God. Mm -hmm. and, then it, and then it happens. It happens. And he doesn't even believe that because <laughs> he's still a coward. And so he tests God again and does the reverse, right? right. So I can't remember which one's in which order. The first one is the ground's going to be wet. The fleece is going to be dry. That happens. And the next morning, he's like, okay, this time the fleece needs to be wet and the ground needs to be dry. That happens again. And this is a story that happens with Gideon. And so many people take this as like, this is a good idea. I need to do this. I need to test God to see. So like, you know, should I ask this girl out on a date? Well, God, I'm going to hang my t-shirt out my window and I need the t-shirt to be wet and the ground to be dry. And if that happens, then I'll say yes. But of course, in the context of the story, what's happening is Gideon's cowardice is being exposed. Like this isn't an admirable thing that Gideon is doing. He should just be obeying what he's been told and he's delaying and he's dragging his feet. And so we're not supposed to emulate that. We're supposed to understand that this is a problem in the story. So understanding whether something is prescriptive or descriptive matters a ton for how you interpret the Bible. So okay. we'll bring that back to Psalms now. To God kicking my enemies in the teeth. What, right. When, what is your verdict? What when we read a Psalm, where we're seeing somebody honestly pray, uh, Lord, kick the teeth in of my enemies. What do we do with that? Is that prescriptive or descriptive? And what's tough is that I actually think in the Psalms, there's often a little bit of both going on. Mm -hmm. Being honest with God, I think, is 
prescriptive. We should emulate the prayers of the Psalms. Whatever you're feeling, however you're feeling, you don't have to hide that from God. You can bring it to him and you should process that with him, not without him. So if you are feeling like you have this rage towards someone and you want to see their teeth kicked in, it is far better to pray that to God than it is to go kick their teeth in. So be honest, pray. That, that, that is prescriptive. If the question is, is that, a, is that an emotion that we should encourage or an action right and here it's just a prayer it's not there's there's no proof this guy's doing this he's asking that god would do it um is that something that we should yeah encourage kind of stoke really sit in like like really sit in our hate for someone and how much we want to see them destroyed and you know pray that prayer five times a day because we just want to keep on reminding ourselves of how much we hate that person. That's where I'm going to say, I think Jesus teaches us some pretty clear things. We brought this up earlier about loving our enemies, about loving our neighbors ourselves, about turning the other cheek, about forgiveness, where it seems the counsel of scripture is drawing us towards, yeah, forgiving our enemy, loving our enemy, not sitting in hate and anger and accepting that as, as a desirable outcome. So I'm going to say that's more descriptive than prescriptive, but it's complicated. I think it's helpful to, to recognize, I mean, if you look through 150 Psalms, there aren't that many imprecatory Psalms. And furthermore, we don't have any recorded instances of the children of Israel at God's command with his blessing, going out and dashing infants on the rocks. Mm. So I, I kind of read it the way you do. I think God can handle And God would even say to us, I would much rather you vent that kind of anger towards me, but ultimately trust me with the outcome, which seems to be what's happening in the Psalms, than go do it yourself. And here's where I might speak out of both sides of my mouth for a second. I do think it's okay to pray imprecatory prayers today. Even as followers of Jesus, I think it is okay to pray asking the Lord for justice to come towards the wicked and those who are bringing sin and brokenness in, in, in the world. So if you are you know, reading stories about child sex trafficking and you're yep. a part of the movement of people who are resisting that and fighting that and protecting children from evil predators— Absolutely, you should be praying for God to bring justice on those who are behind that system, that they would be caught, that they would be imprisoned, that they would, you know, not find success in anything they do. Like it is okay to pray in that sort of imprecatory way. I think it's doing it in a way that is in line with what Jesus teaches us about our enemies that is important for followers of Jesus. And so, you know, if you're praying that way for them, I hope you also can pray that those people behind that evil would receive the gospel and receive Jesus and turn their lives around and repent. Like not just that they would have their teeth kicked in and go to hell, you know, like there, we have to bring Jesus into the equation of how we pray today. True confessions on native exiles. Every time I drive down the road, just from the church here over by the mall and I see that psychic place, you know, I palm reader, whatever it is, I I literally pray, God, would you please burn that place to the ground? Mm -hmm. And then I pray whoever is in there reading palms and giving false demonic input to people, bring them to Jesus. Yeah. Burn it to the ground without them in it. Without them in it. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I My house is a stone's throw from an adult video store. And so I drive past it all the time. Parking lot's always full. And I often pray that God would destroy that business, that he, that it would crumble, that it would fall apart, that they would go out of business. You know, like I, that, 
and, and I think it's because of my desire for families not to be ruined by pornography addictions and all the other crazy things that are going on in there. Like it is a good thing to pray for evil to come to an end. And that means sometimes praying that God would frustrate the plans of the wicked, that he would not allow them to be successful. You know, one other way I think we misread the Psalms and, you know, we have to be careful of these categories, descriptive, prescriptive, like we go to the Psalms and do look for that propositional truth. Like if I'd asked you earlier, you know, when I say Psalms, what comes to mind? I know you would have said like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And Psalm 119 is a big one for a lot of people. It's a big one because it's the biggest Psalm. And it's all about, at least people think that it's all about God's word. But if you read a Psalm like Psalm 119 through, what you're actually seeing is David in that case, talking to God about not just his word, but about all these things that he's revealed. And David makes these statements like, I will revel in your word, or I will follow your ways. And that's different than a command that says, revel in God's word, or follow God's ways. Like, it's in the context of a relationship, of a prayer. It's David, like, stating his intention to God. And that distinction matters, but the way I was raised, I was just reading it as a command. Right. You just read the Bible to pull out the truth statements. Yes. To like give you the rules of life of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Yeah. And and it's not that you can never find that in the Psalms, but that's just not how the Psalms are meant to be experienced. That's not how they're meant to operate in your life. They're inviting you in to a conversation with God and to a prayer with God. And so let's maybe take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about how people might be able to experience that, how people can get the most for their spiritual life out of the Psalms. All right. So Steve, as we help people get the most out of the Psalms, maybe we can just start in your life. How have the Psalms been spiritually beneficial to you? You know why we've been sitting here talking about like some of the dangers of how we read our Bible. And one of the things that's a danger in reading the Bible is always putting yourself into the story and trying to like automatically match up your circumstances right. with theirs. I am like David. Exactly. You're, right. Gideon put out a fleece. If I go through the next three lights and they're all green, I should buy the new set of golf clubs. Right. right. That's my sign. The, the Psalms actually invite us to put ourselves in the story. Right. And that's one of the ways I think God has really spoken to me through the Psalms. There was a really challenging time in my life about six or seven years ago, and I was just really praying through some of my own shortcomings and some challenges in relationships and feeling frustrated and discouraged. And I ran across Psalm 37, and it was just like one of those things. And God does this sometimes in our time in his word where it's just like, oh my goodness, this is describing me. Hmm. I hate to admit it, Wyatt, but here's the part that got my attention. (laughs) We didn't have to get past the first sentence. Do not fret. That's all I had to read. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a fretter. I'm a worrier. Fretting, I read somewhere, is worry mixed with resentment and self-pity. Yeah. I hate to admit it, but, you know, I was going through a time like that. And so when you encounter that psalm and you recognize that it's speaking to you in the moment you're in, then what? Like, is, is that just like, cool, found a psalm, and then you just move on with your life? Or do you, do you pray it? Do you re- repeat it to yourself? I do. I do. There's a couple of things that are super helpful. You know, one is because I'm a person who, you know, in this stage of my life, know some of my weaknesses and tendencies. Like, this is a psalm I return to. Like, mm-hmm. I go back to it. It's just like, I have this, 
you know, it's almost a hack for me. Like when I know I'm getting in this rut, this psalm is just what I need to read. So I use it that way, and I do also pray it. You know, there's there's times when I'll just take some of the the verses, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And I'll just pray, Lord, help me to do that. You know, what does that look like? Show me what that means. The Psalms to me are, are not just prescriptive. They are in some ways, like we said, prescriptive. They are inviting us to learn to live in a world where we believe God is involved and does what he says he does. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. For our family, one of the spiritual practices that's been huge for us is Sabbath. So every uh, Thursday night at 6 p.m. to Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, is our family Sabbath where we're turning off electronics and spending time with the Lord and our family and enjoying what he's done for us. And And I will admit that we're not perfect at this uh, by any stretch, but one of our habits for Sabbath is to read a psalm together as a family. And we mm. just kind of work through uh, the Psalms one chapter at a time. So we've been doing this for a couple of years now, you know, we're up around a hundred. Um, and, uh, and that has been, I think really helpful just to have this communal moment of saying this Psalm together, this prayer. And as I want to encourage people to jump into the Psalms and to get the most out of them, I think one of the things to recognize is you are not going to resonate with all the Psalms. Like that's not the point. Right. You know, so as you're reading through the Psalms, don't be bummed that you read one and you go, didn't mean much to me, you know, or I'm just uh, like, I don't feel that way at all. I'm feeling great today. I'm not in the mood for a Psalm of lament. Right. And that's not a, and so that's not a bad thing. Like you're not supposed to be feeling the emotions of any given Psalm at any given time. The Psalms are not given to us for every moment. They're given to us for a lifetime. And through through a lifetime, you're going to go through ups and downs. You're going to have seasons of anger. You're going to have seasons of gratitude. And so I would encourage people as you read through the whole Psalms, you know, be looking for those ones to grab out, like you yes. said. And it doesn't mean don't read the other ones because hopefully you have the wisdom to understand that the season of life you're in right now is not going to be the season forever. Yeah. And the spirit is going to bring these Psalms back to memory to you. And you're going to have to Google, Oh, what was that Psalm? You know, because I didn't even really understood what it meant to be angry at God 10 years ago when I was reading that, but now I do and I need this now. Yeah. And so I, you know, I would say, man, three quarters of the time, as we read a Psalm, it's kind of like, that was beautiful. It was interesting. Let's move on, you know? (laughs) And then a quarter of the time, it's like, wow, this is really, this is where we are right now. This is what we need. And, uh, and so be looking for those, be grabbing onto those. You know, I think one of the practices in the Psalms in particular that has been helpful for me is journaling. And I know a lot of people don't journal, but if there's ever, you know, passages of scripture that are just meant for journaling. I think it's the Psalms where if you find a Psalm that really resonates with you, you know, one of the things that I will do is start by just writing the words of the Psalm Mm -hmm. in my journal, just verbatim, you know, just copying. And that can seem like maybe a menial task or something that's not meaningful, but I think people will be surprised how much the act of writing out a Psalm gets it into your heart in a way that reading it sometimes doesn't. And, you know, usually I'll, I'll try to go from just writing out the Psalm to then writing my own words that are in line with the emotions being expressed that I'm feeling 
and unpacking what I'm feeling, trying to describe what I'm feeling to God. And often as I'm describing to God how I'm feeling, it's the first time I'm describing to myself how I'm feeling because I'm not a particularly great person when we it comes that to about you on a previous episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, so that's been really helpful for me. Um, and, uh, and the other thing I see in my life for just how to get value out of the Psalms is, um, I often will listen to the scriptures on audio, uh, rather than just reading them. And sometimes that's hard because, you know, if you're in a part of the scriptures that are maybe a little drier, like your mind can wander and, and whatever, but I found the Psalms on audio to be great. Uh, I think there's something about hearing a prayer read over you. Mm. Um, and to remember like, this is how, this is how they were supposed to work. You know, the Psalms were yeah. sung in community. You listened to them. And, and so I would encourage people to try that if they're, if they're getting into this for the first time and wondering how they might be able to enjoy their time in the Psalms. A couple of closing thoughts for me, like a lot of people turn to the Psalms when they're gloomy, when they're down and the Psalms are, they're just a godsend in those moments. I mean, you cling to them because you do find words for things that you can't always put into words. But man, there are so many exultant Psalms too. you know, so many Psalms that help us put into words, just the joy and the gratitude, just our Psalm today in the, in the U version, you know, Bible plan, God's story reading was just all about gratitude to God for his faithfulness and all of his yeah. good gifts. So that's important. Don't just save them for the hard times. And the other thing is I learned this from one of my seminary classes. There's a, a distinct movement in the Psalms. There's a bunch of lament psalms in the beginning. They're more heavily placed in the early part. And as the psalms move on through the five books, it's increasingly psalms of praise, psalms of gratitude. And I think that's supposed to be a reflection of our lives. Not that there's not ups and downs, but as we walk with God, he moves our heart to a place of praise and seeing his hand at work. And man, that's, that's a great way to use the Psalms just to see God at work in our lives. Yeah. That's great, Steve. I might close this just by circling back to something you said at the top, which was for many Christians, uh, our prayer life is one of our struggles feeling like we don't know how to pray. It's hard to pray. We often forget to pray. And I just want to encourage anyone who's listening that, uh, as challenging maybe as it is for you to pray and to be consistent, it is well worth the effort and it takes effort to, to grow in that for sure. And to really grow in your intimacy with God and your, uh, in the joy that you have of being with him and, and, and sharing your thoughts with him and, and meditating on his words to you. Like there's so much richness in that. And, Jumping into the Psalms, I think, is the best way to get started. Like, if you feel like this is a hard thing that you can't even imagine yourself becoming somebody who enjoys prayer, find some Psalms that resonate with you even a little bit and start just saying them. Make it make it part of your habit, you know, before you go to bed. And I'm going to find seven Psalms and, and read the same seven Psalms every night of the week for a year and see what that does to your heart. I think you'll, you'll find that God will really help you to grow and use the Psalms in that in your life. That's a great word, Wyatt. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Enjoy the conversation. Hope this was a really encouraging, helpful episode for you. Hopefully there was something in there that you can grab onto this week that'll help you in your time with Jesus, just connecting with him. Always really appreciate you following, subscribing, listening to us. And until next time, we'll see you again on Native Exiles.